Well, good morning. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. We're so glad you're with us. Join us for worship here at 11. We have services at 8 and at 9.15 here also. And I always want to remind you that, that um, we've told some of the folks at 11, they've discovered if they come at 8, they can park right up next to the building. It's really quite incredible. Um, so I want to let you always know that, uh, just uh, so you can take advantage of that. We are in uh, the middle of a series entitled, It's All About Relationships, Relationships with God and Others. And behind me, you see a bunch of moving boxes that we put together. These boxes kind of are a metaphor for the priorities in our life. And our priorities get jumbled at times. And just like when you move into a new house, some of you might have moved recently, you move into a new house, and even though the boxes are labeled, the thing you want in your living room ends up in the garage. And then all of a sudden, in order to get it in the right place, you've got to move all kinds of things just to get at it. Well, welcome to priorities in life. They get jumbled as life goes along. And we should be spending time with God, and we don't. We should be spending time with our spouse, and we don't. And so each week we're talking about, hey, how do we maintain relationships, and how do we get the big boxes up front, and how do we get things in the right order? Today I want to talk with you about a very important box, and that's our work and the relationships there. So inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm headed today to number with, together with a number of Scripture references that I'll be, moving, uh, be using as we move through it, it's entitled Relationships in Our Workplace. I want to talk with you about what the Bible has to say about relationships at work and why they are very important to us. And if we don't get this straight, we're going to jumble up a lot of things. Could you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bless us in our relationships at our workplace. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. It's our guide when we talk about how to have right relationships at work. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. Teach us what you want us to know about these things. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks on your outline or just take some notes, raise your hand. One of the ushers will be coming up and down the aisles, and they'll be glad to pass one to you. Point one, work is good. Work is good. Now, that, some of you would say, you don't know where I work, okay? No, I'm telling you, as a category, work is good. Work is not a necessary evil. In the beginning, page one of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. God works. If work is evil and work is bad, then why is God doing it? On page one of the Bible, God never sins, never tempts anybody else to do it. But God works and we work. And so it must not be bad. And it's not. In fact, the people who don't have any work to do are the ones who get in trouble. If we find a a gainful place of employment, we find what God has created us to do, life is good. We have purpose and meaning. And that brings us to the next paragraph here, also on page one of the Bible. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. God gave us work to do. Adam and Eve, their first job was to tend and care for the Garden of Eden. That was their job. God created them to work. It's one of the dimensions, it's one of the aspects of being created in his image. God plans, God creates, God builds, God dreams. So do we. We're like him. And we want an outlet for our dreams. We want to plan, we want to build, we want to achieve. Those are good things. And God made us to work. And it's a good thing that we have work to do. Life was never meant for us just to have one continuous vacation. God told us to rest on the Sabbath day and to rest from our work. So he doesn't want us to be workaholics, but he wants us to work. 
Now what's also interesting is that not only does God work and did he create us in his image and gave us something to do, but here's what it says in Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not only are we created like him, but he has things specifically for you and me to do in our lives. He's created us with certain skills, certain abilities. He's going to provide us with opportunities that we can take advantage of. And these are, that's his desire for us to do good works that he planned from eternity past for us to get done in our lives. And I'd love for you to put a star right next to that verse because that verse is important for everything else we consider. And we're going to refer back to it again and again. But I want you to understand that work is good. It's not a necessary evil. And if you're just living for the weekend and doing work so I can get a paycheck, nine to five, after five, life is good. I'm just putting in, just, just punching the clock just to get some money so I can get on with real life. Then you're missing out on what the Bible has to say about work altogether. Because if God is good and he created us to work and he has things that he's planned in advance for us to do, then that leads us to point two, then God would use our workplace to help shape us for this. I want you to understand, God knows we need to work full-time job is 40, 50, maybe 60 hours a week. Some of us work two part-time jobs or a full-time and a part-time job just to make ends meet. And too, all too often, we forget the fact that God is shaping us right where we are. Some of us might think, well, there's my work life and then there's my spiritual life. There's my God time and then there's my work time. Well, in God's eyes, all of it's his time. And he's not just using this time right now on Sunday mornings where we're talking about lessons from the Bible. Or if you read your devotions every day, do some Bible reading, that's great. Or you're in a connect group and you talk about it, that's awesome. But he's not going to settle for just... An hour here, 30 minutes there, 15 minutes in the morning, other things. And the rest of the day is all your time and he doesn't have anything to say about it. God wants to be involved in every part of our lives. That's why he comes first. Now, even when we talked about that, people wrote me emails and said, well, how can God come first? I mean, I have a full-time job. He doesn't want me to sit around reading the Bible all day. No, most of us, he didn't create us to be monks, to be cloistered away and do that. He knows we have a full-time job. In fact, he created us. Some of us he created to be farmers and some teachers, some lawyers, some of us ministers. I mean, all kinds of things. God gave us all kinds of skills and abilities. So God created us to work. But he also, but you and I have to understand, those aren't throwaway hours. Well, let's just get them through a work week and then I can teach them something on Sunday. God's teaching us all week, every day. He's shaping us. And he's going to use our workplace to contribute mightily to that. Oh, Lord, you are our father. This is Isaiah 64, 8. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Over and over again throughout the Bible, that metaphor is used. That God shapes us like a potter shaping clay on a wheel. And and he's drawing certain things out of us that he really wants to build up. There's other things he's cutting off. That's a bad attitude. That's a terrible habit. That's That's a bad idea. And there are things that just have to get, we have to get rid of in our lives. And God's shaping us, not only on Sunday morning, not only when we're praying, with, praying to him, not only when we're reading the Bible, he's putting those thoughts in our head, but he's giving us a laboratory to work on all this stuff every single week. And if you and I will begin to think about this, we'll discover that, oh my goodness, God is indeed shaping me through my workplace. And so he puts us in relationship with others in our workplace to shape us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
And boy, oh boy, does that happen at the workplace. We're going to come into conflict at times. We're going to have to be steered away from things. But that's what shapes us. And God is shaping each one of us so we can do the good things that he prepared in advance for us to do. And it doesn't do any good to cry about it when it's difficult. Some of the best lessons in life are some of the hardest lessons in life. I mean, some of the professors I had in college, they were ranked the hardest professors on the campus. And there are people that get in one section of a calculus class, the easy one that seems to be a cakewalk, and then I get, you know, Professor Frankenstein or whoever, you know, this is going to be the hard one. But you know what I found? When you take a lot of those classes, some of those professors, the reason that they're hard is because they demand more. They demand a level of excellence and a level of study and a level of proficiency that others don't. And some of the toughest classes I took turned out to be the best classes. They shaped me in an important way. I not only learned the material, I learned some things about myself. And that brings us to the note in your outline, God is a lot more interested in our character than he is our comfort. If God's shaping you, he's not trying to make you comfortable. And it doesn't do any good to pray to him, God, I just want an easy street in life. Just give me an easy street and I won't complain. Yeah, but I'm not trying for you to have an easy street. I'm trying to get you ready. I have a great thing for you to do in your family. I have a great thing for you to accomplish in your, in your neighborhood. A great thing for you to accomplish at your workplace. I'm trying to get you ready for it and you just won't cooperate. All you do is grumble and complain. We can rejoice too, Paul said, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Character is who we really are. It's the part of us that lives on forever, our soul. It's our character. It's us. God is shaping us. He's bringing some things out. He's chopping some things off, and he's going to put you in a workplace. And in your workplace, I guarantee you, he's using that to shape you. Some of us, it's at our workplace that we finally learned how to get organized. Some of us, we've worked in a workplace, and man, the boss was a taskmaster. Looking back on it, we're grateful years later. He or she, that was the best thing ever for us. I even talked to a guy in the military not that long ago who was a real successful leader, strong, dynamic leader. And I said, were you always this way? He goes, no. I was a teenager. I was on the edge of delinquency. One step out of jail. Well, what turned you around? He said, boot camp. I said, so you're thankful for boot camp in your life? And he said, yeah, I don't tell anybody that, but yes, I am. He said, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through, but it woke me up that the world isn't just about me. I learned that there are other people in my unit. I need to be part of a team. Straighten me out. Help me fly right. Well, some of us are going to go through some hard things too. Straighten us out and realize that the North Pole doesn't pass through the top of our head and the South Pole through our feet and the whole world revolves around us. Some of us need to learn that. And your workplace might be exactly where God is showing you that right now because you got an employer or you got some people who work with you and they're never going to let you forget that it's not just about you. This, if you and I go through hard times, it doesn't even do any good to say, well, everybody in the Bible had it easy. Oh, no, they didn't. If you were with us at the beginning of the year, we studied Genesis, we studied the life of Joseph. Here's how his life is described in Psalm 105. Joseph was sold as a slave. By the way, he was sold by his brothers. 
He was a favored son of his father, Jacob, and he was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. In slavery, they bruised his feet with fetters and they placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. The Lord had given Joseph dreams that one day he would be a mighty ruler and his brothers would bow down to him. He was sold into slavery and 13 years later that dream came true. After he had been sold as a slave, he was accused of a crime he didn't commit, even went to jail. But God allowed him to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and so one day he went from the jailhouse to the White House, to the palace, and he became the prime minister of all of Egypt. And God put him there because there was a great famine coming and he wanted Joseph to organize the supplies so there'd be plenty of food ready. And then during the famine, he was going to be the one who would distribute the food fairly and justly. And so Joseph, a child, a man who, a young man who had been a child of privilege, was sold into slavery where he learned about justice and injustice. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit and thrown into a place where if he wouldn't have had help, he'd have never escaped. And so he knew what it was like to cry out for help and have no one listen. And why would God take him through all of that? Because God was going to put him in charge of the whole land at a time when people would be going through famine and they would be crying out about injustice and they'd be crying out for mercy and for help and they would need someone in the highest position who would understand them and help them. And all his years in slavery and all his years unjustly accused of a crime he didn't commit drove deep down into his character what it meant to be prepared, to make the most of opportunities and to stand for justice and to show mercy. And so somewhere in your margin, if you'd write the two words, exact opposite. God may put you in a workplace that's the exact opposite of what you want because he is trying to bring out in you, draw out in you things that wouldn't come out any other way. God, I want to be creative. Make me more creative. And then he puts you in a place where everybody's just black and white and never colors outside the lines at all. And everybody looks to you and go, well, you're the creative one. You come up with the thing. How come, Lord, I have to come up with all the creative stuff? Well, I thought you wanted me to help you be more creative. I put you in a place where everybody's about as creative as this cardboard box. And you have a chance to step up. Lord, I want to be a great leader. Make me a great leader. And now you surround me with people who can never make a decision. It's like, I have to make all the decisions. Why is that? I thought you wanted me to make you a great leader. I'm giving you 40, 50 hours a week. Heck, working where you are, you'll have a PhD in leadership within a year or two. But over and over again, we never even consider that God's using our workplace to shape us. And so we grumble and complain. And the very thing that we're asking him to do is what he's doing, and we can't see it. Well, God, I want you to do it, but I didn't want it to be hard. God, I want you to teach me a lesson, but I want you to teach it quick. And by the way, I need more patience. But we want microwave leadership. We want everything done for us, handed to us on a platter, and then we want to be strong, dynamic leaders who can stand up and face in times of crisis. Doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. And it does no good to grumble and complain. And if we understand that God is shaping us for a great work he has to do, then it makes sense in Romans 12, 12, where Paul says, look, be glad for all that God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always be prayerful. Doesn't mean you can't pray when times are tough, but be patient. God is working on you. He put you in this work. It's not like he doesn't know where you are. 
Hey, you walk out of this worship service. Hey, where'd they go? I don't know. They're off grid 40, 50 hours a week. I don't know where they went. The angels only know when you show up at a church service. It's not the way it works. And when you and I are praying for things, God is answering our prayers, but many times he doesn't answer the way we think. And sometimes we're not honest with ourselves because we want all these things, but we're not willing to pay the price. And if we are honest with ourselves, learning some of the habits we need to learn, it's going to take years because old habits have to be unlearned first. And some new habits are hard to take. And many of us are more stubborn than we think. Ask your spouse. Okay, anyway, that's just the way it works if you're married. Or if you're living at home, ask your parents. They'll tell you how stubborn you are. It's true, we're just a lot more thick-headed than we'd care to admit. And so we go, God, why do I have to learn that so long? It's like, you tell me, you're the one who was slow on the uptake, okay? That's the way it happens. So God is going to use others in our workplace to shape us. That brings us to point three. He is also going to use us to shape others. And he's doing this all simultaneously. You know what you would call a, a God who can do that for billions of people simultaneously? Amazing. He is amazing. While he's working on you and using others to shape you, simultaneously, he's going to use you to work on others. Crazy, magnificent, worthy of our praise. And now you know why we sing praises to him. What kind of mind could conceive all that? Mm. The kind of mind that's described in the Bible. He is truly awesome. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, Now, so whatever you do or say, do it as representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You're going to be representing God in the workplace. Yeah, he's using the workplace to shape you, but he's also using you. And you're a Christian, so don't go out there and act like it. And don't forget, you're representing God. You're representative. You're to live clean, innocent lives. Paul talking here again in Philippians 2. You're to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world, of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. God wants us to live out the Christian faith in front of people who never go to church, who don't have a sniff about righteousness. Well, where are they going to get that? By watching you. 40 or 50 hours a week. They're going to see how you handle conflict. They're going to see how you handle money. They're going to see if you clock out early. Or pad your expense account. They're going to watch you and me. Because we're the ones talking about Jesus. So we have to live clean, innocent lives. And many times, again, this completely escapes us. I know it escaped me. The first job that I took after college brought me down here as an engineer. And I was working in a workplace where I remember the guy who hired me introduced me to some people at the workplace. We walked to a place where there's a secretarial pool, and he said, hey, be careful what you say in here unless you want to broadcast to the whole county. There are a lot of gossips in here. Mm. Walk out of there, and another part of the plant where I was working, there were some guys working there, and boy, they couldn't say 10 words together without profanity in them. I mean, just could cuss the wallpaper off a wall. I'd worked there a couple of weeks more, and one of the guys, we discovered he had a horrible drinking problem, and actually, even though I'd been there a month or so, I had to help get him into a rehab program. And there were broken marriages, and there were these other guys there. All they ever talked about was their adventures with women. And my goodness, it was just pain after pain. And 
I'd been working there about six, eight weeks. I forget exactly how long. And the guy who led my Bible study in college called me one day. They'd been praying for me. I'd been a part of a Bible study in college. And the rest of the group had been praying for me the night before. The Bible study, they were still meeting up there and wanted to know how I was doing. And so he just asked me what's going on. And I told him about the gossiping and the people are alcoholics and other people's marriages have fallen apart and womanizers, profanity. And he goes, well, praise God. I went, why do you say that? Because before I had left, we had prayed, he had prayed this verse over me in Philippians 2.15. God, we want John to go live a clean, innocent life as a, children of, as a child of yours in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people so that his life can shine brightly before them. Remember we prayed that and you said you wanted God to use you where you could shine brightly. And boy, look how he answered our, our, our prayers. Isn't that great? I said, well, well, yeah, that's what I was going to tell you. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> no, that wasn't what I was thinking at all. And you may not be thinking that. God, why have you put me here? Here I am, a Christian. I'm devoted to you. And God, I'm surrounded with all these sinners, people with bad attitudes and horrible habits and foul mouths and wicked lives. God, why would you put me around those people? Because I love them too, and I want them to come to know me. And you can shine out a life of a person who loves me in front of them every day. And some of you will say, boy, I wish you could come to my workplace. You could straighten people out. Well, I'm not at your workplace. You're the person there. We miss it entirely. And we don't get it. Because again, we think that it's all about us. And God's saying, no, John. I put you there on purpose so these people could, could find me. And so, a couple of sub-points here on this. If you and I are going to be, represent God in our workplace, and God's going to use us to shape others... There are three important character qualities that he has shown me in my life at the workplace. There could be many more, so this is, an, this is not an exhaustive list. I just want to throw out three things, that I think, but I think they're pretty universal that would help us a lot if we're going to influence others. First of all, you and I need to be dependable workers. Romans 12 again, Paul says, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Oh, that goes a long way. If I'm going to be a witness, a representative for Jesus, it helps if I'm not lazy. Colossians 3.22. I mean, this is numerous places in the scripture. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Please underline that one. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. Proverbs 10, 26, lazy people irritate their employers. They're like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. I want to be an influence for Jesus in my workplace. Okay, well then how about not showing up late more often than you show up on time? How about not clocking out early? How about not padding the expense account? How about not being the one who's first to spread the gossip? How about not always having a negative report? How about not using every single sick day just because you can? I mean, I want to invite you to come to church with me. 
Is everybody else there just like you? Yeah, I guess. No, thanks. Because lazy people who are trying to get by with the minimum amount of work and the maximum amount of stuff coming their way, that's like smoke in the eyes. I mean, I've been on campouts with my kids and we're roasting marshmallows, and you've probably done this too. It doesn't matter where you stand, the smoke follows you. It's in your eyes and their blood's hot. You can't stand it. It's like, okay, look, I'm throwing the thing in the fire. I don't care. I can't stand this. I've got to walk away. The Bible says that's the way it is with a lazy employee. Every time I get around you, it's, oh, it's an irritation. Every time your name's brought up, oh, yeah, what did, what did he do? That, what did she do this time? What's the problem now? That really hurts our Christian witness. And nobody really cares what we have to say about Jesus if they don't like us because we're just lazy. Let's not be that way. We're working for Christ. We're his representative. And whether our employer is watching us or not, Jesus is. So let's do our best all the time. Why do we need an employee manual to tell us that? The Bible says that. Let's work hard and be faithful. A second thing that you and I have to do if we're going to understand our role in the workplace to shape others, we need to be servant leaders. So on one hand, we need to be faithful workers who are following the leadership of others. On the other hand, if we are in leadership, then we need to act like Christians while we lead. Well, how do Christians act? Well, the good news is the Bible's got us covered on that one too. One day, Jesus' disciples, as they were walking along, they began arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who'd be at Jesus' right hand and who'd be at his left? And here's what Jesus said. He sat them down, by the way, and explained that they weren't getting this at all. This is from Mark's gospel. Jesus said, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even I, the son of man, came here not to be served, but to serve, to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so if I'm going to be in leadership and I want to be a Christian leader, a Christian boss in the workplace, then I look to be a servant leader. It's not about building myself up and letting everybody know that I'm in charge. It's about using my position to help others and make sure they have what they need so they can succeed. Giving people, other people a hand up just like people gave me a hand up. Giving them advice when they need it, praying for them, making sure they have the supplies and the equipment and the education necessary to get their job done. Praying for them. Thinking about their, own, their needs more importantly than my own. Romans 12, one more time. Paul says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. You get in leadership, don't be too proud to hobnob with the people that worked where you worked 10 years ago. Don't forget where you came from. And don't be too proud to admit when you blow it. You don't know it all. Never have. Let's be humble. And man, you talk about shining out like a dark light, a bright light in a dark room. God will use us there. So we need to be faithful employees. If we get leadership, we need to be in leadership, we need to be serving leaders. By the way, it was so interesting. About 10, 15 years ago, I picked up a, some on the bestseller list. It was a workplace book. It talked about how important it was to have servant leadership. It was a new leadership paradigm. It was like 1999 or whatever. 
Yeah, brand new leadership paradigm. Jesus only talked about this 2,000 years ago. There's nothing new here. Jesus modeled this perfectly. He died on the cross, not because it was comfortable. He died on the cross because I needed saving, and so do you. He went first. He was a servant leader. He cared for people even when they didn't care for him back. And that brings us to the next, the last point. If you and I, we need to be faithful employees, servant leaders, and then we need to love our coworkers. I'm not suggesting you send them Valentines every day or leave little candy hearts on their desk. That's not what I mean. If you and I are going to love our coworkers, then it's going to involve some very hard things. And we're going to need God's help for this. Luke 6, Jesus speaking. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. That's the golden rule. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you, do, if you only do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or we'll all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Now that is loving people in the workplace. And you and I will shine out brightly. But again, I don't want to work with people who are going to need forgiveness. I don't want to work with people whose lives are so messed up that I have a tendency to judge them or I need to show them compassion. I want to be a bright light, Lord, as long as I can be a bright light on the beach in the sun. I don't need you on the beach in the sun. I need you in a cave where it's dark and scary. And that's where just a candle will do. When I was uh, at that first job, not only were there problems from coworkers, I actually shared an office, a joint office with several other coworkers who were chain smokers, two or three packs a day. And there were no rules at that time about smoke in the workplace. So I'd share this office. By the end of the day, there'd be smoke a foot and a half hanging under the ceiling. And I just hated it. I mean, I knew I was going to die of secondhand smoke. I would get in my car, and my clothes smelled like smoke, and then my car smelled like smoke, and I'd get to my apartment, I'd change clothes, go hang the clothes on a clothes tree outside to air out. Ugh. And after weeks, it just got, I got more and more bitter toward these two coworkers who were smoking all the time. Forgot all about the fact that I'm a Christian, supposed to love them and care for them. I didn't care for them at all. I just wanted to get out of there. So irritating to me. My heart grew really cold and bitter toward them. And I remember driving home from work on a Friday afternoon, and I was punching the radio, just looking for something to listen to, driving home. And the scanner stopped on WLBF, the radio station in Montgomery. And I don't know whether it was the middle of a talk or the end of a sermon or just a, just a short devotional. I have no idea. But the speaker came on right when it landed there. I go, do you have coworkers you can't stand? I went, oh, you do not even know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Of course I do. It's like, I mean, they irritate you. Some, oh, yeah, keep going, keep going. And it's like, well, then here's something you can do. And he was talking about this passage here about loving others and loving your enemies, doing good to them. Some of you might think that's impossible because you can't imagine there's any reason they deserve you to do good to them. I was going, 
keep going. I can't think of one good thing. He said, if you want to know how to love others, and you're going to have to ask God to show you one thing that's lovely in them. Show them something you can love. Show, them something, show you something good about them. Would you be willing to, this weekend to pray all weekend that God would show you something good about these people you can't stand, that you've never noticed before? Yeah. Okay. So that whole weekend, I prayed that God would show me something good about these two employees who smoked all the time. And it was like, Lord, I'm going to pray this, but fat chance. I mean, good luck, okay, finding anything. So I get to work on Monday after praying all weekend about this. And um, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I've been working. There's nobody's lit up yet. Nobody's smoked. And I kind of notice it. It's kind of odd. I have some things to do. I'm out of the office till after lunch. Come back at 1 o'clock. There's still no smoke. There's not even an ashtray on anybody's desk. And normally I have ashtrays that are overflowing. It's 3 o'clock, and I can't take it anymore. I go, okay, why is no one smoking? What's happened here? And they went, oh, we didn't tell you. Yeah, over the weekend we got together, and we talked about the fact that smoking is not good for us, and we, we've noticed it kind of bothers you. Oh, you think they noticed? Okay. Yeah, I was probably dropping some hints. All right. And they said, we know it bothers you. And so we decided, hey, it'd be good for us both. We don't need to be smoking. It irritates John. And so um, we both decided to quit smoking. And the first one who gives in and lights up again has to buy the other one dinner at the restaurant of his or her choosing. It's one guy, one man, one woman. Hmm. After work that day, I got my car, drove to a place where I could go pray. I got down on my knees and I said, well, Lord, How about that? These two people were more sensitive to my needs and made hard lifestyle adjustments for me, and I didn't even care enough to pray about them until Friday. Oh, yeah, I'm the one who's supposed to be the bright light in the dark world. I don't even care about you. You're irritating me. Do to others as you'd like them to do to you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. You'll be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate as your Father's compassionate. Don't judge others, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others. It'll all come back on you. Forgive others, and you'll be forgiven. I went, oh, Lord, I haven't even tried this. You know what I want? I want people to pray for me. I want people to be sensitive to my needs. And I had never even found out anything about them. After this whole experience went back, the whole relationship was changed. I found out one of them, by the way, quit smoking for good. The other cut way back. But I found out they had all kinds of dreams and skills and hobbies. There's lots of good in them. But it never even occurred to me to ask. Because it's all about me. Hey, God. Put me in a place where I look good, where I succeed. It's all about me. No. The Lord would say, no, it's John. It's really all about me. And I'm trying to get you to look like me. So if you'll keep your shirt on, allow me to change you, I'll change you. The only question is, Do I want that to happen? For God to shape me in the workplace and to work through me to shape others at the same time.
Same question for you as well. So we couldn't think of any way as we planned this worship service any way better than end this service with a time of Holy Communion. The night before he was crucified, Jesus got his disciples together to observe the Passover meal. And during that meal, took a piece of bread, a loaf of bread, and he broke it. He passed it among his disciples. He said, I want you to take this bread and I want you to eat of it. This is my body broken for you. I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. I'm sacrificing my body. I'm dying in your place. I'm going to die so that you can live. So I want you to eat this. And I want you to remember I'm doing this for you. As often as you do this, remember me. After the supper was over, he took a cup of wine. Passed it among the disciples too. He said, why don't you drink from this cup? So they drank of it, and they passed it around. This is my blood that's shed for you, for the sins of the whole world. I'm taking the penalty for your sins upon myself, washing your soul clean. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And here's why this matters. Jesus used real bread. He used real wine. And he didn't just say, hey, I want you guys to remember something. He gave them something to do and something to eat, something to drink. Because notice this. When I eat the bread, it goes down into me and becomes part of me. And the nutrients from the bread go wherever my body needs them. Any part of my body that needs nourishment. When I drink of the cup, same thing happens. If I want Jesus in my life, I can't come to him and say, God, I want a little bit of you on the weekends, but God, I don't want you in my life during the week. And God, I want you to forgive me of my sins, but I am never forgiven my boss for passing me up on the employment ladder. God, I am never forgiven my coworker. And God, you can forget all about using me to shape other people. I could care less about them. I want a little religion on the weekends to make me feel better, but I don't want it during the week. Well, then you're missing the whole point. In just a minute, we've got tables set up in the front and out in the hallway, tables where you'll find a small cup and a small piece of bread. And if you are here today and you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Jesus forgave you and you're willing for him to help you forgive others, then you come. You pick up the bread, you pick up the cup, you go get it, and then you return to your seat, and after everybody's been served, we'll eat and drink together. But if you're coming saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to do that, you know what that's like? That's like taking a piece of bread and putting it in your pocket. I'm not going to eat it. Lord, I don't want it to become part of me, because I don't know where it's going once it gets inside of me. So Lord, I'll just keep it in my pocket, and I'll look at it, and be kind of like a good luck charm. Mm-mm. You want to follow me? You got to eat. You got to drink. And you got to let God's Holy Spirit go wherever He wants to go in your life. And it might take you to places where you're surprised. But that's saying, that's okay, Lord. I want you to do your business 
inside, outside, anywhere you want in my life. So if you're willing to come this morning saying, God, I want you in my workplace. I want you to work on me 24-7. I want you to nourish me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to give me the strength for me to love others. Well, then you come. If you want to just put this in your pocket, don't come. Don't come. This is no game. Jesus died on a real cross for real sinners like you and me. He wants the whole world to come like the real sinners that work at our workplaces. He loves them too. And if you want to come and say, God, you can do whatever you want in my life. You forgave me. Keep on showing me how to forgive others. Well, then you come and eat this and rejoice that the good news isn't just for you and me only. It's for the whole world. So I'm going to have a word of prayer. Ask the worship team to come back up here. We're going to be having a time of worship as you go to get the bread and the cup. You come back in. We'll eat, and then after that, I'll have a few words. We'll eat it together and have some prayer time. Heavenly Father, I just ask you to bless us today. I pray that we will not play games with you. I pray that we will not be selective about our forgiveness and say, God, you can forgive me, but you can't forgive other people that I work with. I pray, Lord, we will not be selfish and stingy with your grace. I pray, Lord, that we will let you accomplish your work wherever you want to go. Just like the nutrition goes wherever the minerals are needed. I pray, Lord, we will not fight you but we will surrender all to you. I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who went first and modeled what servant leadership is truly all about. Help us be like him. We give you thanks in his name. Amen.